It's the e-commerce master plan podcast here to help you grow your e-commerce business faster and more efficiently by cutting through the hype to bring you inspiration and guidance from the e-commerce sector and beyond. Here's your host, Chloe Thomas. Hello, Masterplan world. It's great to have you all listening, and I'm really pleased to be bringing you our second Takeaways episode in a row. Yep, April was a pretty busy month for me. Uh, So after last week's update from Catalyst, here's my update from the Internet Retailing Expo. I spent Wednesday and Thursday of last week at the NEC in Birmingham, chairing sections of the conference, the first time I've chaired, and it was uh, it was really interesting. And luckily for all of you, the two streams I got to chair were the two most interesting. Although I suppose I would say that, given I got to pick which ones I did. Um, and I got to ask lots of questions of the presenters too. On Wednesday, it was the insight and experience, so all about focusing on the customer. And on Thursday, it was digital merchandising which I think is one of the most fascinating areas of e-commerce right now. Um, and there's great takeaways from the presentations across all uh, both days, in fact. Again, this time, I've put the written version of this update, uh, my script, if you like, directly onto the web page for this episode. There's no form to fill in, nothing to download. It's just right there like an exceptionally long blog post, together with some images of some of the slides that people were sharing. You can find all of that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 58. Whilst you're on the website, why not also take a moment to add yourself to the early notification list for my new book. Everyone who signs up before the publication date, which is the 16th of May 2016, will get a free copy. The new book is called Customer Manipulation, How to Influence Your Customers to Buy More and Why an Ethical Approach Will Always Win. Being totally honest, my personal biggest takeaway from the expo was relief that my new book is 100% hitting the nail on the head of the problem everyone is trying to solve at the moment. And the pre-publication reviewers are loving it. Here's the review from Alex O'Byrne, who's the founding director of We Make Websites. And he says... Chloe's latest book is a triumph. It guides you through the journey of finding your audience and creating a strong customer base. What's different about Chloe's book is that it never loses focus on the customer perspective. It tells you how to make sure customers understand your proposition and is jammed full of useful examples that are easy to follow. I'd recommend it to anyone that wants to take their business to the next level. Well, thank you very much, Alex, for that one. Uh, One of my favourite reviews so far. Now, the book isn't out for another two weeks, so for now, let's get on with the content you can actually get your hands on right now, which is my takeaways from the Internet Retailing Expo. IRX is a two-day free conference run by the same team that brings us Internet Retailing Conference in the autumn. Uh, I did a takeaway session from that last year, which is still available on the website. There are two sides to the event, IRX, focused on the retail world, and EDX, which is all about delivery. It's a huge show with a massive exhibition hall. If you didn't make it this year, add it to the list for next year because it's an event packed with the best supplies in the business and some fantastic sessions. Plus, there are great delegates. Each time I stopped anywhere, I was bumping into great e-commerce people. So much knowledge in those rooms, halls, coffee areas and everything else. And a special thanks goes out to all of you the lovely listeners, who came up and introduced yourselves to me. There are unfortunately too many of you to mention right now, but thank you all and I can't wait to hear about how the things we were talking about are going to be progressing for you. Enough of that. Here's the list of what I'm about to run through for you in these takeaways. First up, I'm going to take you through some updates on the general e-commerce 
picture and kind of future thoughts with um, items from Ian Jindal, the editor of Internet Retailing, and Matt Brady, the founder of Just Eat and Rock Pampa Scissors. Then we're going to talk user experience with some advice from SLI Systems for site search and tips from the travel world from Eurostar and Late Rooms. Then we're going to take a look at some interesting developments about community learning to help you grow faster. Finally, I'm going to take you through two case studies from the retailers themselves, which is going to be Bon Marche on the single customer view and personas and how they're mixing and matching all of that, both in marketing and merchandising, and Feel Unique, the beauty brand or the beauty retailer, I should say. The written version of this episode is on the website, like an exceptionally long blog post. So you can find that at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 48. Let's dive in then with the general e-commerce picture and those future thoughts. Almost every single session talks about the changing customer behaviours and expectations. So I thought I'd start this part of the takeaways with the key messages from across um, all the sessions. First up, there is, of course, the millennials piece um, and the changing expectations of customers. Matt Brady, the founder of both Just Eat and Rock Pampa Scissors, both uh, mobile phone apps, um, he summed up the feelings pretty well with the following quote from Yves Behar, who's the designer of the Jawbone, which was kind of the first of the Fitbit style apps to come to the market. And the quote is, the consumer today wants it all. And it's our job to deliver it to them, to deliver the better experience that's greener and less expensive all at the same time. Sounds a bit like giving people the moon on the stick, but that is the way that consumers are now expecting us to deliver. And they're expecting faster, less commitment, easier, all these things. So uh, Matt Brady, who actually um, incidentally is a future e-commerce master plan podcast guest coming up in the next few months, um, he used the example of Match.com versus Tinder. So Match.com's taken a massive dive in recent years, being almost completely superseded by Tinder. A bit like the blockbuster Netflix effect. Why has this happened? Because Match.com were aiming for commitment. They were marketing commitment. To sign up, you had to fill in about 20 different forms. You had to pay them money. Um, and their main marketing message was X percent of our members get married. So every message was about commitment, commitment, commitment. Whereas Tinder is all about fun and quick connections. It's about swiping people left and right, making quick decisions. There's very little you have to do to sign up as well. So it's, it's appealing to what consumers now want, simple and easy. Matt then introduced us to a fantastic American app that I hadn't come across before called Push for Pizza, where literally you push a button and a pizza gets delivered. It has a promotional video which does a very good job of explaining Push for Pizza, but it also gives you a really quick, easy to understand insight into the consumer angles which drove these guys to create the product. Now, you can't see the video on the podcast because one, uh, I can't put visuals out there and two there's copyright issues however there are no copyright issues in embedding their youtube video into the website so if you want to see that video and i really do suggest you take a look at it you'll need to go to ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 48 okay so changes in the industry Ian Jindal, who's the editor of Internet Retailing, the UK magazine not the US one or the uh, Australian one but the one in the UK 
he always gives really great, insightful updates. And he ran us through a presentation called The Six Changes in the Experience Ecosystem that Puts Retailing into Our Customers' Hands. So continuing this general trend, really. Um, and these all really mean that um, we all need to embrace what his his magazine, Internet Retailing, have chosen to term total retail. Um, for the purpose of this podcast, I've reduced them to five changes, but I will, but all six will be incorporated. That makes sense. It just seems to make more sense to me as a five. So I'm going to bring you a five. The first one was marketplaces. And essentially, Ian's message was that you've got to have a marketplaces strategy. It's a busy and changing space with over 400 marketplaces operating in the EU alone. And more of the UK's buying journey is now starting on Amazon than start on Google. There's a marketplace for everything. So it's important to work out how this affects your strategy. Right from the top, um, Ian was talking about, you know, what is your specialism as a retailer? Are you about product? Are you about ops? Are you about marketing? And whichever one of those is your is your specialism, that will affect how you approach marketplaces, um, as well as working out which marketplace to be on, of course. It was a really interesting marketplace um, who were chatting on on one of my panels called Frugo, who enable really easy international selling. So they're worth having a look at if you're if you're on the international front. They've got some great things coming up later this year, but I don't have time to tell you about them on the takeaway. So you just have to go and check that one out. New store experiences. These are, of course, offline experiences, but they're changing customers' expectations throughout retail. And Ian gave us two examples, and I'm going to add a third one from one of the other presentations. So we've got Waitrose, who are a UK supermarket, who've just launched, or opened rather, a massive branch at London's King's Cross Station, which includes both a wine bar and a cookery school. So really getting customers active within a supermarket there. Uh, Then we've got John Lewis, which is a UK department store, who are currently rolling out something called smart home departments, which are really interactive departments where all the smart home technology is there, which gives customers the experience of buying, or experience rather of using smart home technology. Because of course, the customer can't buy it if they don't really understand the product. So that's going to be interesting to see how that one works for John Lewis. The third example I want to give you is one that Sarah McVitie of Dracipi shared within her session and it's a US example. The US menswear retailer Bonobos uh, last year opened a store on Fifth Avenue in New York, so not a cheap place to open a retail store, where you can't actually buy anything and walk away with it. So it stocks one of each item they sell in every size Men visit this guide shop, as they're calling them, try on everything they like and place an order which is delivered to their home the following day. So there's no shopping that they have to carry around with them. There's no returns to deal with because they've already tried the items on. Um, and clearly it's working very, very well for uh, Bonobos because they've now got 21 of these guide shops all over the USA, including three in New York alone. Okay, the third update from Ian was the post-purchase experience becomes the ecosystem experience. So consumers have to live with their purchases. So how can that experience be improved to make sure they come back to that same place to buy again? How do we need to think differently about the post-purchase experience? The example 
uh, he was using was about the coffee machine. So a consumer only buys a new coffee machine maybe every 10 years, yet they use that product every single day. So there's a daily interaction. They're buying more coffee every week and they have to replace the filter every two years. So there's a daily, weekly and two yearly and 10 yearly cycle going on there. How can that be turned into some kind of ecosystem experience to make sure the retail is involved in all these steps? So they're building that loyalty and making sure the customer is going to come back to them in 10 years for the big purchase. Number four, mobile. And mobile, Ian believes, is going to become the remote control for life. If you think back to how many, you know, that we all have so many remotes lurking around the house that sometimes it can be quite difficult to work out how to turn on the telly. Well, this kind of comes into how many product apps do we need? And Ian shared an example of Samsung post-purchase apps to help you with your products. There's like 20 or 30 of these. Do you really need an individual app for each thing or could they put that into one app and thus find ways of tying the consumer in more? Should there be a separate app for each different product or should there be one app that does everything? Um, Also in the world of mobile as the, the remote control for life is an example of Tesco and I put a picture of this uh, up on the notes on the website, is, um, oh, and actually Tesco is going to be a, a guest on the e-commerce, mo- e-commerce Master Plan podcast very soon as well. They're doing some really clever things with If This Then That, which if you haven't checked it out, go and have a look. It's easiest to search for as I-F-T-T-T, If This Then That, which is really simple technology, which Tesco are, or Tesco Labs is currently enabling you to use to automate the online grocery shopping basket. So, for example, if it's Thursday, add milk to my Tesco shopping basket. If uh, salmon falls in price on Tesco, then add it to my shopping basket, for example. And lots of different things. There's a, there's a great uh, graphic of, um, of one of Ian's slides that you can have a look at on the website at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 48 if you want to see that. His final point was that we're entering the zero margin post retail world. And I thought this was probably the most powerful of Ian's uh, listed changes. On traditional business models, the final retail price is being pushed down by marketplaces, customer expectations, etc. Yet at the same time, the customer's desire for good service is going up, which of course costs money to deliver. So this is one of those drivers that's leading to manufacturers increasingly wanting to get involved in the retail side of things. So we spoke a lot, or I spoke a lot about that in last week's takeaways from Catalyst. That's podcast number 47. So how can you deliver the prices and service the customer wants while staying in business? Is there an opportunity to use those two drivers, lower prices and greater customer service, to deliver a better product? For example, in insurance, if you fit a black box to your car by driving sensibly, you can reduce your insurance premiums. So I'm aware there are very few answers in this first section of takeaways. So see this first section as being a lot of food for thought. Next up, we've got the user experience, and I'm going to going to oh, I'm going to cover quite a lot more practical advice in this one. First up, um, Ian Scar of SLI Systems did a session sharing tips about how the various parts of the SLI Systems software can improve your conversion rates. Of course, much of this is possible with other software systems, and much of it's possible with Google Analytics as well. So think of it as a nice little optimization checklist. First, you need to get your search working. 
Uh, it's really important, the search functionality on your website. So marketing Sherpa research shows that customers take eight seconds to decide whether they're going to buy from you or not, and that 43% of them go straight to the search box to find out if you have what they want. So your search is critical to making sure that within those eight seconds, they decide they're going to buy from you. So Ian's first tip was to reduce the path to the product. When a customer starts typing into the search box, start showing them relevant results in the search drop down before they even get as far as clicking search or go on their search. Tip number two, don't show nothing. If the search brings back no results, show the customer something. So it might be a word cloud of popular searches, your bestsellers or some alternative products based on the search the customer performed. Tip number three, understand your visitors. So look at what they're searching for and use this to improve the experience. That might be getting new products in or tweaking the search system so it takes into account synonyms and misspellings. Or as Jigsaw, a UK fashion retailer, has done, direct someone searching for maternity to a selection of your products which would work for a pregnant lady even though you don't do maternity wear. So you can still get a sale even though you don't sell anything for maternity. Tip number four, make product recommendations. Over 75% of the Amazon homepage's recommendations, they work, so you should have them working well on your site. There's some really useful tips there from Ian, many of which you can start doing with just the Google Analytics site search tool. And these, that, of course, will make the business case for investing in a proper search solution once you have the sales volume to, to be able to do that. Right, let's move into UX testing now. And I saw two presentations which were heavily focused on that, both from the travel sector. They were Neil Roberts, the head of digital at Eurostar, and Imran Yunus, former global head of UX at laterooms.com. Both were focused on a similar process. So here's a compilation of tips from across their two sessions. Involve the customer from the start. Conduct surveys, do live testing sessions, get their opinion and don't guess about it. Involve the customer throughout. One set of customer input isn't enough. You need them to input at every stage of your development journey. Use analytics to find out the what. Use customer feedback tools to find out the why. Try usertesting.com and whatusersdo.com. Roll out your tests fast. The only way to truly see if it's the right thing to do is to put it live on the site. So the faster you can get that change live, the faster you'll see what else needs to be tweaked and get the benefits of the improvements. Sometimes simple tweaks can make a big difference. Eurostar simply added a strip showing their USPs to the checkout and it increased conversion by 3.7%. That's big. That's worth a lot of money. Prioritise your testing based on the potential impact of each test. So you've got to make some business cases here. Remember that the customer experiences your business across multiple devices. So never focus purely on one channel. You must get the whole business working on UX improvements. That includes getting HR in on it all. Everyone's got to buy into the importance of this for the business. Late Rooms operate a BYOD day every Friday, which stands for Bring Your Own Device to Work. That means that everyone in the business gets the opportunity to be part of the UX improvements, to try out the service levels and experience on all kinds of devices. Everyone gets involved and they learn an awful lot from these days. So those were the UX tips. Next, let's move on to community learning to grow faster. 
Now, this one came as a surprise to me. If you'd asked me to list 100 things I thought I'd be coming away from uh, Internet Retailing Expo with, I don't think this would have been one of those 100. But it's really interesting. And I think it's one where I'm certainly going to be thinking about a lot over the coming months and quite possibly the next coming years. There were two different suppliers extolling the benefits of retailers sharing their data to help them grow their business. I know this is something which works because in the UK mail order sector, we've been using data cooperatives to help reactivate data and recruit new customers for decades. At IRX this year, I learned about two new ways to pull data. The first was my supermarket. On the front of my supermarket, it is a way for customers to build their weekly grocery shopping online. And as those customers build it, they find out how to save money by either shopping from a different supermarket or picking an alternative product. Behind the scenes, it's a lot more than that. In fact, it's the number four most visited retail site in the UK, which means their visitors form the largest online shopper panel in Europe. Some of their visitors buy via them because they are a marketplace, but most are researching. And of those researchers, 65% choose to buy offline, which means they've got online behaviour data for a large number of offline purchasers. Product-wise, they cover everything you might buy in a supermarket, but their marketplace isn't only populated with products from the big four supermarkets. They also list products from hundreds of retailers, including many smaller independents. So I haven't quite yet got round to telling you about the pooling data bit, so let me do that now. The really great bit about my supermarket, and the bit which fits with my theme, is that manufacturers and the retailers are using the traffic on my supermarket to run tests that can then be rolled out to their retailers or direct onto the retail sites themselves. So they're providing a platform where image options, descriptions or even navigations can be tested before being rolled out to your own website. One of the examples we saw was um, extra chewing gum with different style photography and how that those different pieces of photography were being tested by the creators of extra chewing gum on my supermarket. Once they knew which worked, then the, uh, the manufacturers were then going direct to their retailers to recommend that they change the photography to be the one that attracted the most interest from customers on my supermarket. The second was Dracipi. Dracipi is changing the online fashion experience. A customer signs up for the service via the retailer's website, fills in a questionnaire about themselves, so their sizing, their clothing preferences and other other things about their relationship with fashion. Then they get a more tailored service on that retailer's website, which sizes they should be buying to get the best fit, the products which fit their preferences and so on and so forth. So far, 2.5 million women in the UK have completed the survey. The customer profile is owned by the customer, so they can take it with them to other retailers who are using the Dracipi software. Given this includes some of the UK's largest female fashion destinations, it's a great benefit to the customer. It's also powering impressive data and lessons, because Dracipi are able to see a greater level of the customer's buying habits than any single retailer. The example Sarah McVitty used, and which I'll repeat now, is that the average UK woman buys a new winter coat every two years. So Dracipi know that she's bought one on Topshop last week and that therefore the M&S site should stop trying to sell her, um, or the M&S business rather, whether it's via email or anything else, should stop trying to sell her a coat and should be selling her other items. 
In each of these examples, the act of giving the customer a better experience has led to a bigger bonus of data being captured that can then be used to massively improve the customer experience even further. I think this concept of pooled data may hold a key to greater business performance in the future. So keep an eye out for such opportunities in your niches, in your marketplaces. I'm going to wrap up this podcast episode by taking you through the two retailer case studies that I have for you. We're going to start off with Bon Marche. Paul Kendrick, multi-channel director of Bon Marche, outlined his single customer view demystified beyond the technology to customers behave in a consistent and measurable way. The short answer is yes, they do behave in a consistent and measurable way, but you've got to have a lot of volume of data before it becomes consistent and measurable. I'll give you a bit of background. Bon Marche is a UK women's clothing brand targeting the older generation, so kind of the 50, 60 plus, and with both stores and an online website. Paul's primary point was that achieving a single customer view is as much about mindset as it is about software. So a very similar theme to the UX items we were looking at earlier. To help tie up data between offline and online, they run a bonus club. Um, I feature, feature pictures of several of his slides on the website, so you can get those at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 48, which includes all the details about the bonus club, but I'll read out a couple of the key points right now. So they've got 1.7 million active people in the bonus club. That's people who shopped in the last 12 months. And each member is on average spending over 30% more than a non-member. For the customer, the benefits are they get a a catalogue mailed to them, exclusive offers and gifts, and there is a spend and save loyalty programme. What it enables them to know about the customers is that they know when, in terms of date and time, the customer shopped, which channel they shopped in, which store they purchased from, what they purchased, so style, size, colour, etc., how many items they purchased, how much they purchased. They also know from the application form who the customer is, where they live, their telephone number, their email address and how old they are, which is really important for Bon Marche. This, capturing all this data has managed to to enable them to prove why multi-behaviour, multi-channel even behaviour is essential. So they know that their multi-channel shoppers spend three times more than a single channel shopper. So they know that uh, an online only customer spends £47.00. A store-only customer spends £84. A customer who shops from both spends £180. So they're very much focused as a business on getting their customers to both use online and offline in their transactions with them. Then they've also identified three customer personas, which you can see those outlined on the website. Uh, I've added that slide for you. And these personas allow them to understand who different items in the range are appealing to. Given they're trying to attract a younger customer, otherwise, quite frankly, their business will literally die off. It's not enough to have a bestseller. They need a bestseller within the youngest persona. So they do an awful lot of buying and merchandising activity to buy ranges that will appeal to the right um, age range of their of their personas. They then use those customer personas to mix it in with loyalty stages, by which Paul was meaning you've got non-shoppers, new shoppers, low loyalty, high loyalty and lapsed. And then they overlay the personas and those um, loyalty stages to manage the marketing activity. 
So the strategy is exactly the same for each persona, but the execution will differ. And there's a, a nice chart of that on the website, ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 48 that you can take a look at. Having a bricks and clicks element means that Bon Marche are used to dealing with imperfect data. In fact, only 70% of store sales include a bonus club swipe. So they're basing all of their analysis on only 70% of their data. So they've got 30% untracked, plus the online data as well, which, of course, if someone's filled in the form and registered, they'll get that. So I think that's quite a big lesson to all of us. Stop trying to get everything captured and 100% data accuracy before you start using that to help drive your strategy and your growth. As I mentioned at the beginning, Paul also pointed out that whilst mostly their customers behave in a consistent and measurable way, we're still looking at humans. So there has to be a volume of data before you can see the trends. So, you know, we all talk about, or a lot of us talk about statistical significance, and that's that in action, really. He also reminded us that data is only part of the story. We don't know if it's the cause or the effect unless we have a dialogue with the customer. He um, illustrated this with a silly cartoon, which I don't have the picture of, but I do have the quote from, which was, I wish they didn't turn on the seatbelt sign because every time they do, it gets bumpy. Right, it was time for our very, very last part of the takeaways here, which is the case study from Feel Unique. And it was an utter pleasure to meet Joel Palak, CEO of Feel Unique, such a lovely man. And his session was a great insight into the complex world of beauty retailing. Beauty is one of the hardest e-commerce sectors because it's very hard to get the product. First, you have to have an actual salon because most of the brands will only sell to salons. Then you have to build a strong relationship with the brands in order to get them to agree to sell on your site. After 10 years, 10 years, Joel thinks he might finally be at the point where brand acquisition can be replaced as the number one item on his to-do list. So it's taken them 10 years to get all the brands they want on board. A little bit of background numbers. Feel Unique have 1.5 million customers. They turned over £80 million in 2015, 90% of which was online sales and 70% of which was um, in the UK. So 30% of their sales are overseas. 12,000 parcels ship per day from their one warehouse in Northampton, which they've outsourced to be run by another company. So you can do 24 million overseas turnover and still dispatch everything for the UK. And you can focus on customer service, but still outsource your warehouse. I think that's worth just pointing out because it means, you know, you can build your model your way. You don't have to necessarily do everything that someone else has done. You can choose to outsource the customer service and still it to be a really important part of your of your brand. And you can continue building really big without having to worry about overseas warehousing. Okay, back to back to Joel's presentation now. Feel Unique have really big ambitions at the moment. They want to be a leading retailer of premium beauty products online, which there is a definition to that, but you need to look at the website for that one. Uh, they also want to be a pioneer in e-commerce and they're aiming to achieve retail sales above 120 million by 2018. All of this is delivered by sticking to their DNA, which is to be unique, powerful, fun, accessible and digital. And their brand mantra, which is beauty without boundaries. Marketing wise, they're focused on offline media to raise awareness and digital media to cause the sale and hook in the customer. All of this with a consistent presentation as images and messages, because the customer finds that reassuring. 
The site itself fulfills two customer needs. To help the customer find the item they want right now and help them find products they didn't know existed or that they wanted. The first is done via navigation and filters, the second via articles and content. I just love the way they've got that clear um, a clear view of what the role of each part of the website is in terms of looking after the customer's needs. The key to selling beauty online is to reassure the customers that the product is real. That's one of the reasons why they continue to ship from the UK. And it's also why they have reviews on the homepage. Much else of what they're doing is all about trying to get that customer to try the product. So samples are really important in the beauty industry. And so far on Feel Unique, they're available to the customers in three different ways. A customer can order a full size item and have the sample size delivered at the same time. The customer starts using the sample and if they don't like it, they can send back the full size item for a full refund. Really clever use of samples. Um, once they spend a certain amount, free samples are available to be added to the basket for free. And they've got this new idea coming soon, which I think is going to go down really well with their customers, which is going to be called Pick and Mix, whereby each month a customer can order five testers, five samples. All they have to pay is the postage and packaging, which is three ninety five. And if they then go on to buy any of the five products they've ordered testers for, then that will be taken off the price. That three ninety five will be refunded essentially. Customers can also subscribe for their favourite items. So if there's a shampoo you like, you can choose to ha to have that sent to you every four weeks, or every three weeks, or there's various options. On a side note, um, Joel sees the Beauty Discovery Box subscription services like Birchbox as doing a great service for the industry by encouraging more people to shop beauty. Partly, um, I'm guessing he's saying that because he said that one of the ways they intend on growing as a business is not so much taking business from other people, but making sure the millennial generation start shopping beauty in larger numbers. So recruiting the youth in to buy from them. So for me, Feel Unique is another great example of a business listening to its customers, working out what's stopping them from buying and making it really easy for them to buy. In previous takeaways, we've seen that with ASOS. We've seen it with Shop Direct. Again and again, if you're looking for the real winners, the real shining lights in our industry, that's what they're doing. They're getting to grips with the customer's needs and fears and dealing with those in order to, to grow their sales. So that's all my takeaways from IRX. Here's the bullet point version for you. You have to use a test. Don't work in silos within your business. Consider marketplaces. Where can you pull data across your industry to make your business better faster? Pay attention to site search. Getting a start on single customer view will take you ahead of most businesses and it doesn't have to be perfect to make a difference. Listen to your customers and build what they want. Thank you for listening today to my takeaways from IRX. I hope you found them useful. You can find the full script right there, ready to read or print, and links to the various resources I mentioned at ecommercemasterplan.com forward slash 48. There you'll also find details of how to get yourself onto the early notification list for my new book, Customer Manipulation, and bag yourself a free copy.
Make sure you listen to our next episode once it's available next week, which is an interview with Matthew Parvis of Fresh Clean Teas, a fascinating new startup from the States and our third T-shirt seller of the year. I think there might be a trend coming. Uh, the episode after that will be podcast number 50. Can you believe we've reached number 50? And it's also going to, that one's going to be launched on the day my new book launches. So I've got something special lined up for that one, but I'm not telling you about it yet. You'll have to listen in. Have a great week, everyone, and keep optimising. Thank you for listening to the e-commerce master plan podcast. Find out more at ecommercemasterplan.com.